Hello and welcome to the Synthetic Dreams podcast. This is a series where I speak to musicians from the world of electronic music, from pioneers to exciting new artists. My guest on the podcast this week is the wonderful Paul Hartnell from Orbital. Paul and his brother Phil formed Orbital back in 1989 and during his long and fascinating career has collaborated with a diverse range of artists, from Robert Smith to Joseph Arthur, who both appear on his excellent solo album, The Ideal Condition and Peaky Blinders star Killian Murphy, who provided spoken word pieces on the excellent 858 project. In the wake of the release of Paul's new album, the soundtrack to British Thriller Concrete Plans, I spoke to him about playing Top of the Pops, working with the poet Murray Lachlan Young, and about the time he nearly killed a member of the Radiophonic Workshop. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, or to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot for coming on to the show. It's strange because usually when, I, when I'm doing these things, uh, interviews, speak to a musician like last year, you'd say something like, um, where, where are you guys? And they'll be like, oh, I'm on a tour bus somewhere in America. But it's weird, like last year and this year, when you ask someone now, it's like everybody's at home. So I wondered yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how you've been with the lockdown and have you been keeping busy in the kind of things yeah yeah I've, I've been very busy um i haven't stopped really just you know just studio work i was kind of anticipating studio work anyway um you know we lost a year of festivals last year but essentially i was kind of expecting to be mostly in the studio so i've just been sort of getting on with it you know a nice creative um collaboration with the poet murray lachlan young came out of it um he's like an old friend from school um and we just got, well, as soon as the first lockdown hit, we just got involved. Um, he, he does a regular poem on Radio 6 every Friday. That's right, yeah. Uh, for the Sean Keaveney show. And we just decided to collaborate on those poems because all, you know, he, the theme had changed you know, because of the COVID thing. He was doing a, a, if you like, a diary entry for each week as, as to what's been going on with, you know, people and life to do with that. Yeah. And so I would score it every week and we just got into a real kind of um, groove with it and ended up with sort of 14 tracks after, you know, after 14 weeks. Um, we're just doing a track a week really quickly on, on Thursday and um, broadcast on Friday. It was great fun, actually. Must be good to hear it the next day. That's quite a fast turnaround then. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. It was good. It was interesting because you get little, you know, it's like... Um, it, it's just funny because sort of whatever's happening in the news or with people, if everyone's feeling a bit weird, he would reflect that. And then I would reflect it in music. And, and like you say, it sort of comes out on Friday and you'd sort of sit there sipping your cup of tea and listen to it and go, Oh, is that what I did? After, you know, cause you didn't really have time to remember what you would, you know, what you were working on or how it, how it was, you know, and then hearing sort of Sean um, just sort of sniggering away at it. It was good fun, you know, but you know, funny. Um, God, what, what, what happened? The guy from Craftwork died halfway through as well. And sort of, so in the little middle eight, I got a, um, you know, but yeah, when Florian died, I, I got a little bit of sort of um, autobahn flute in there in the middle eight, just to kind of, you know, respect to, to him and things like that, you know, so it was, it was very topical at the, at the time, you know, I noticed on um, Twitter, one person spotted it, but <laughs> that's the sort of thing that, you know, you just do naturally without thinking about it great you could do things like that yeah yeah <laughs> little homages because you um didn't you guys remix one of their tracks i remember but i think i've got a is it a cd single of orbital um, yeah craft sorry um yeah. was it 
was it Expo? Am I getting that? Confused? Expo 2000, yeah. So, I, have, I mean, sorry, I'm jumping to craft working, but because we spoke about Florian Schneider, um, how did that come about? Did you did you meet them or speak to them or was it just done from um, representatives? No, I, I don't. I think it just came through sort of management and, you know, their, their people contacting our people. I've got, um, he did ring up and I missed him. He did ring up to leave a message, uh, Ralph, and, you know, just to sort of talk about the remix. And I have it on a little micro cassette um that i've kept you know <laughs> but i kept all my little micro because yeah there you go i kept all my little cassettes actually from answer machines i kind of because i'm a sound archivist anyway you know I, I like to think of sounds when answer machines used to use cassettes and then little micro cassettes when they'd run out well i'd leave them to run and then when they'd got too long for people to leave a message you know because they used to have to fast forward to the end of the messages and all of that um, instead of going rewinding them and going over them again, I would just take them out and put them in a box. So I've got a box of 90s answer machine messages of just weird things that different friends have said and that kind of thing. And then it, um, up amongst it comes, you know, Ralph sort of talking about the remix. <laughs> Some of them you could use in a trap one day, I'm sure. Like. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I, I, I kind of, indeed, I kind of felt like... Um, one of the ideas that I'd had was to do a sort of autobiographical kind of album. I started writing a book, you know, because I just started thinking, oh, God, I'm starting to forget all my sort of crazy memories of the 90s and things like that, you know, and um, it'd be good to write it all down. And then I thought, well, why, you know, in that usual typical musician way, why not sort of score it as well? Um, but then I started thinking about why don't you sample sounds from those places and started going around the, the village that I grew up recording sounds of places where, you know, I used to hang out, uh, you know, drinking a beer before the youth club or whatever, and that kind of thing. Um, so, so, you know, recording sounds that are meaningful to me. Um, but I haven't, I haven't dived into that yet. I haven't, you know, that, and sampling songs, you know, that I remember from my youth and that kind of thing, you know, just sort of getting into that, that world of a seriously forensic sampling kind of autobiographical sort of record, obviously keeping it accessible at, at the same time, but it would just be kind of, it's, it's almost kind of like casting spells with sound. Do you know what I mean? For the musician, for the, what, what it means to you to have that, that sound of that, you know, the reverb from the tunnel where you used to sort of hang out near the station when it was raining with your mates and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I will. I will get onto that one at one at one point. And those answer machine tapes are definitely part of that process, you know. Just oh, I wish I'd kept some of mine as well. When when you get a certain like a drummer from the only ones ring you up and leave a message, and you're like, this is mad, you know. Just like yeah, a music fan as well. So yeah, it's great that you kept all that. That's brilliant. Um, so just kind of as we're going sort of about the past, I was trying. I was trying to remember it and. I think actually my first record, and I'm not just saying this, was I think it was Chime. Or you know when you actually go to a record shop with your own money, because obviously yeah, yeah. would buy you cassettes and whatever. Um, and I and it, and I so I checked out some of the old performances, and I was watching um, Top of the Pops. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, what, I mean, I just if you can go back to the sort of memories of that, what was that like to when you first was on Top of the Pops, which must have been a boyhood dream for you. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, anyone of my kind of age, that was it. You've arrived. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's totally kind of, it's insane, you know, and I mean, it's been well kind of documented, but 
you know, to, to summarize, I mean, I was working in a pizza restaurant washing dishes at the time. It all, and it all, you know, Chime went from white label to 3,000 selling white label to signed to FFRR to all of a sudden on top of the pops. And I was still working in a pizza restaurant. And, you know, I had to, um, you know, ask for the day off because all of a sudden it had come up on, on the Wednesday that I was supposed to be doing a session, you know. And I had to say to the manager, sorry, I can't do that. And, you know, she said, well, you know, you know the rule. If it's on the if it's on the rotor, you can't change it. And I said, I said, well, I'm going to do Top of the Pops. And she just screamed and grabbed my cheeks and just went, ah, you know, oh, my God, I'll do it for you. You know, if you, you know, just sort of, if you need any more time off, just let us know. Oh, my God. You know, it's brilliant. Um, and the next day, you know, on the Wednesday, um, I took I took a mate up with me because I could because they sent a car. They sent like a sort of proper, you know, swanky executive black car with a man with a suit on knocking on my house in Dunton Green. What well, I got up too late. And so I was kind of rushing about. And there's this sort of polite gentleman at the door saying, oh, I'm ready to take you to the BBC, sir. You know, and um, yeah, we, we got in, you know, arrived. And there's people they're, they're, back then. There used to be people hanging out to see who was, you know, in the car to see who was coming in. They're very disappointed, obviously, um, looking in and seeing me and my mate. But you know, it was it was just so it's so iconic. You know, you walk through the sort of corridors, those curved corridors of um, uh, well, I don't know, is it was it Broadcasting House, the one, the one that's now just flats, you know, um, and then they show you into the into the room and you you walk in and that's it you're in top of the pops and it's like you know it's like you've crossed that that fourth wall you know it's like you're walking into the set of friends or something so like, i shouldn't be here i'm on top of the pops <laughs> and and but and the weird thing is you see the mechanics of how it works you see how small it is you see they've got three stages one in each corner and a big crane sort of camera that's going around like a sort of robotic dinosaur and not that many audience members. They just corral them, you know, in front of the camera. It's quite, it's, it's quite interesting, the whole process. I'm just really, really glad that we had Gary Davis, you know, as our sort of host, because he had been playing Chime every lunchtime. He was part of the, its success. Um, back in the day when you weren't allowed to play instrumental songs on Radio 1. Uh, so he used to play it as part of a competition he would do every day. So he'd play it and talk over it, and they, that was allowed. And... Um, yeah, had a sort of vodka and vodka and orange in the BBC bar with him and we're chatting about that. And he, that's how I know he was explaining how he could get away with playing it. But um, that was great, you know. Can you remember who else was on that, that show? Did you meet? Yep. It was, there was a sort of boy band that were older than us, probably. Um, I think <laughs> they were called Big Fun. They were kind of like a real manufactured sort of boy band. I remember looking at them thinking they were old geezers. Do you know what I mean? You know, I think they were probably 27 or something, you know. Yeah. But um, and the other, the, the big one was Snap doing the power, which was brilliant because when we finished, we jumped off stage, jumped into the audience and were jumping around with everybody else to dance into Snap the power. It was brilliant. What a great time. Yeah, that was great. I tried to say hello to them in the corridor, but they were really kind of stony and cold and sort of a bit snooty and looked away so um you know and he's quite big wasn't he was he what was he called he was. B? i don't know i don't know i said hello but he didn't he didn't respond so you <laughs> know. entourage yeah did, did you play top of the pops often then or can you No, they said they'd never have us back after that um and then they changed you know because we didn't do anything we just stood around i, I i've always been a bit sort of Lars von Trier about things and I don't I won't mind I don't 
like miming. Do you know what I mean? I've done it twice. Ironically, probably to two of my biggest ever audiences. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's That's how it works in this industry sometimes. It's weird. You know, the only times I've ever sort of, yeah, mimed have been, you know, media events like that. Um, you know, never an actual gig gig. Um, of course, yeah. But, you know, yeah, I, I can't, I just can't do it. I just don't want to do it. People used to say, what, what have you got to, you know, you must have a backup plan if your equipment fails at a gig. I say, yeah, you just cancel the gig. That's, you know, what? And I say, yeah, but you, wouldn't you play a tape? I say, I'm not going to do that. Do you know what I mean? I don't like it. I don't, I, I just like things to be real. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit stuck with that exactly. one. Exactly. Well, you let the music do the talking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, you touched upon about equipment failing then because I'm, I'm just reading, um, you know, Stephen Morris's second memoir. So oh, yeah. He, he talks about New Order and when they were using these old synthesizers and then they would break down or just not start or whatever. Do you have any funny moments then of equipment back in the day that would, that would play out? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Our old sequencers used to do that, the MMT8 sequencers. Um, epic fail in Dublin once. And you, you kind of know when they're going to do it. You change pattern and you see it goes into hieroglyphics and it's, you know, sort of just sort of computer jumble. And you just think, oh, that's it. And the only way out of it is to turn it off, get a floppy disk on another machine, put MIDI into the, into the thing, turn it on and pump it back in and then it kind of resets itself. So that's a good, you know, yeah. couple of minutes if you're quick you know it's it's it's, it's um takes longer than a than a sort of wheel change in a formula one car yeah. um but in, in dublin we were doing it we, we did it and it had an epic fail and it what it did it held on to every note that was playing at the time so all of the synths that were playing just sort of went just held a big like massive chord and the whole audience just went yeah like as if it was some special moment and it's so disappointing as you think I'd love to be able to take this on somewhere and hit you with a drum, but, but you know, we're going to have to stop. So just had to press stop and sort of, you know, apologize to them. But because we were in Dublin and the Irish crowds are always so sort of amiable and fun, they just all sort of fell about laughing at <laughs> a great time. And then when it started again, you know, they were even more sort of cheering. So, you know, that was fine. That was fine. But it happened in Belfast, um, a BBC big day out kind of fairly recently as well. We had a, an epic fail on our sort of synth that was doing bass lines and it was just about to just about to do a track where it was being the main bass line it's like we, we got to stop and sort this out you know full yeah. like you know few good few minutes gap in front of ten thousand people but luckily it was being broadcast live but the bbc because they have a delay they just cut it out and it, you, you wouldn't know it even happened it was brilliant that's nice and I suppose you could just, it seems that you saw the guy that would just laugh about it anyway afterwards. I suppose at the time it's a bit, but then you can Yeah, it's a bit tense at the time because you don't know if you're going to yeah. get it started again. But um, after, I don't mind. It's, 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 it's what I've kind of signed up for. Do you know what I mean? Live electronics, take the studio on stage, jam with the arrangements. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. what you do. So. It's showing that you're playing live, I suppose. And it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it keeps oh, yeah. it interesting. I was gonna. I was thinking about then the kind of setup that you would have had way back, sort of early '90s, to what you have now. Obviously, it's grown because when I see you, you have a massive setup. So, because of obviously the technology is changing all the time. So, um, is is it a lot better now? So, I suppose you have less of. We obviously you said you sped about big day out and it failing then. But um, what sort of equipment did you have back in the day? Was it quite a small setup? 
No, it was bigger probably back in the day. Not originally. It, it, after a couple of years, it grew quite big um, because, you know, if you wanted to do sampling, you had to bring big samplers with you. Nowadays, all the sampling happens inside the computer. So you're, you're you know, sequencing and sampling happens inside the computer now. So that takes away having to have big, you know, EMU samplers on tour and MMT8 sequences, you know, um, of which I used to have three in a row, three sequences, um, eight tracks each. And then, you know, that which was good because it could mean you could change them into different patterns at different times, you know, to move on to different tracks. Um, but, you know, you'd have a sampler and then you'd have a backup sampler back in the day. So you'd have a big tower of kind of um, rack mount equipment. And then, you know, if you wanted synth sounds, you had to have synths with you or, or have them as samples. You know, there was no audio stem playback kind of, thing yeah. so um always had a jupiter six on tour still do you know back in the day sort of various roland kind of mono since sho9 you know maybe a 101 303 909 various sort of drum machines quite often lots of roland stuff actually um r8 drum machine um alesis sr16 drum machine times uh trying to think what else like i say two always two big emu samplers um, wave station, called wave station, was always my sort of favourite digital kind of um, multi-timbral synth, which was always good. Um, looking around the room, see if I've forgotten anything. That was kind of the the mainstay for, I'd say, the '90s. You know, various synths would change around and that kind of thing. Nowadays, it tends to be a computer um, running sort of samples, but, you know, doing Ableton running sort of clip mode. So it's like using an MMT8 sequencer, because what I do is I get um, iPads with Lima on them and do, you know, like a little custom built setup for each song um, of the buttons. So it's effectively like having an MMT8 again, but um, I have two of them that are identical. One, so that if one, if it goes down, you've got another one. But the other joy of that is you can change from one into the next song. So you can then start taking bits out of that one and putting bits into that one. Do you know what I mean? So you can, um, you know, properly jam with it. And that's a, that's a good system. And then again, take synths and things like that, but they've shrunk, you know, nowadays I'm looking at a, you know, sequential um, Prophet 6 synthesizer. It's a modern analog synth, but it's, you know, this big, but it's as fat as a, you know, big old, you know, yeah, big old sort of blunderbuss analog synth, a lot more reliable. So I take things like that, but I do still always take the Jupiter 6 because I can't find anything to replace it because it's so particular to the sound that anything else just doesn't sound right to me. So that's like one of your favourites, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. live it is, yeah, because it was really the sound of the 90s for sort of a lot of my composition from back then. I'm just thinking about your live shows because i've been to so many over the years lots in manchester um but a particular favorite of mine was actually i think it was your solo one that you did at the bridgewater hall when you oh yeah the ideal condition yeah um, yeah and it, i was watching you at the time with my wife and i was just thinking what because obviously you would be mainly with your brother for a lot of the time what was it like going out on your own but then you had this big backing of all these these in these um musicians um, multi-instrumentalists. Um, how did you feel playing with them? Were you, were you a bit nervous or did you feel out of your depth any time? Or did you totally nervous. Totally nervous because they're all much better players than me. 
Um, <laughs> but you know, that's sort of, that's kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah, I know I'm, I'm, I'm the composer. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not important. It's, if anything, I'm the conductor, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but it was good fun to play live, to do a bit of bass guitar, to do, you know, play a little bit of keyboards and that kind of thing. And it was great fun to hear it, you know, develop and, and, and sort of, you know, be, be real instruments. You know, did, we did things like, instead of using full strings for the chords on a song, we'd use an accordion. And so it, again, changed from how it was on the record that had only just come out. And all of a sudden they say, oh yeah, what can we do? You know, we haven't got strings. We could use, you know, you could use sampled strings. It's like, but then the girl playing the accordion said, well, why don't I just play it on the accordion? And it's like, oh, great. And of course, an accordion's a big sound, you know, and, so, and when you amplify it, it sounds great. And so doing things like that was, it was really good fun. It was interesting because you do, while people can improvise within their, their, their loop or their area, you can't improvise with the length of the song and the structure. We, you know, we may have been able to get into that if we'd have done enough gigs, but because they're reading from notation, um, you know, you've got to stick to the, the structure of the song, which was quite interesting because there were a couple of points. I remember in the Bridgewater Hall, there was one track I wanted to extend it. I thought, ah, you know, because naturally I just think, oh yeah, we'll just go on, we'll drag this. And I thought, oh no, I can't, I can't make it go on, you know, unless I run around and whisper into everyone's ear, we're gonna go on, you know. <laughs> Um, I guess standing at the front might have been more, you know, looking back, if I had to have put myself in a conductor's position, then maybe I could have had a sign for go round again, you know. Um, it was great. It was yeah. really great. And to play at like iconic halls like like that must be, you felt like yeah. an amazing experience. Yeah, it's good. Good fun. I mean, I know you, you, you've, um, you've done other stuff since then, um, but you've, are you thinking about any more sort of solo albums or yeah totally totally I, th I think um i think there will be plenty in the pipeline yeah, yeah. i've you know um yeah i'm so i'm trying to keep quiet about my my future plans i don't want to release them just yet you know what i mean but yes is the answer you know yeah, I, the, that's the other you know i i've i'm i've done a whole album in lockdown as well as the one with murray um so you know did you do a soundtrack recently or did I? Did yeah, I did that. I did. I've done that as well for a film called Concrete Plans, which is, okay. you can, I think it's kind of out. I think you can buy it on Sky, um, but it's having a proper release later in the year. It, it, it came out because it was on the, in the Fright Fest festival and got really good reviews actually. Um, um, but that was, so it's just had a very limited release from because of that, but it's coming out properly. Yeah. Yeah. I think between March and May. Concrete plans, did you say? Yeah. So, not knowing much about the film, what sort of what's the what's the film about? A thriller. A thriller. Cool. I'm not. Yeah, I'm a no spoilers kind of guy. It's back to my sort of honesty and you know Lars von Trier kind of attitude of it is what it is. I don't do spoilers, but it's a thriller. It's a thriller. Oh, it's about builders. How terrifying is that? Do you know what I mean? They can be intimidating anyway. <laughs> walking next to them. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, it's oh, just. I could that, yeah, so the, I grew up in a family of builders. I know what it's like. You know. <laughs> oh, that's good. So you must have been watching, is it bits of the film? Rushes, as they call them in the movie industry, where they send you new bits of the... They were yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, I had the whole thing there. You know, I, I scored that um, summer, I think it was around eight, uh, July, June 19. 
Yeah. Brilliant. When it was scored. And then it's, you know, obviously it was coming out last year and then got completely delayed and changed because of the COVID situation. So will there be a soundtrack that we could possibly get at some stage? Or... Absolutely. In fact, this conversation has just reminded me that I've got to respond to an email after this with the people that are putting the soundtrack out. So it should, we're hoping for a 12th of March release on Lakeshore Records. Good, oh, brilliant. Good label. No, they're, they're great guys, yeah, really good. Oh, so you've been, well, I'd say, it sounds like you're very busy and you especially you've got time to write this book that you, you mentioned, but. Well, if I had time to write it, you know, <laughs> now I did a few, quite a few years ago, I started and got to around, oh, I can't remember, I think it's around 120 pages, maybe, it's maybe a few more. Um, you know, this is the unedited long version, and but I'd only got to when um, I had to think of the name Orbital. That was the only <laughs> got to that point. So obviously, it needs a heavy, you know, dose of editing. But one day, when I'm in the mood, I will get round to writing the '90s, you know, and then see if I can stitch the whole thing together. If you can remember anything from the '90s, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was somewhat like being shot from a cannon from one end <laughs> of the decade to the other. You know. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the. Um... The 90s then because i don't know if you were if you were working on them but i'm a big big sci-fi fan so obviously i have to speak about doctor who because it's one of my favorite theme tunes um and i just think when you had the initial idea to do doctor for the is it the all together album yeah um, i'm pretty sure it's at a festival and i think you may have been previewing it when did you preview? well we uh, no, we've been playing it since whoa Hang on, let me think. I think it was around 95-ish, 94, 95, so sometime around then. It's appeared in the live set and it was never going to be on a record. And then it just got so popular from the live set. I just thought, oh, you know, we're going to have to do a recording of this for this album. So we put it on, you know, um, the all together. But essentially it was all, always just in, intended as a live thing, um, you know, because the reason was I it, it was always one of my favorite theme tunes you know it's probably got an awful lot to do with why I do what I do you know as a kid I loved the program but the theme tune was something else you know it was it had it stirred the same things in me as Kraftwerk do do you know what I mean it's just like what is this weird cold yet I love it sound you know um <laughs> you know which is funny because I listen to things like Computer World now and it sounds anything but cold but Back then, it compa compared to contemporary music of the time, it was so stark and angular, you know, and the Doctor Who theme was just, it's proper gothic, isn't it? It's proper kind of haunting, scary. It's what I love about the Severed Heads, actually. I don't know if you know that Australian band from the 80s, late 70s, 80s, and they're still going. The Severed Heads, oh, okay, I'm going to give you two album titles and you have to go and listen to them. One is um, Since the Accident, and the other one is City Slab Horror. Those two wow. albums, massive, massive influence on my my um, career. I just they just blew me. I'd say the Severed Heads had as much influence as Craftwork on what I do, and I think you can hear them in the in the music sometimes. You know, um, wow. yeah, but they they also have that haunting quality that Doctor Who had for me. You know, it's it's just yeah, brilliant theme tune. And so we we put it in the set as the idea, you know, Doctor Who had been forgotten by then, you know, it's like mid nineties, 
yeah, it was old news, wasn't it? Um, so for me, it was kind of like, oh, let's resurrect that. You know, let's put that, let's get that theme tune out. Let's remind people of how good it was. And, um, you know, yeah, because it was also that at that time, I've just, you, know, you forget, don't you? It was not pre-internet, but it wasn't the internet and streaming wasn't the thing that it is now. So that, you know, when did you ever hear the Doctor Who theme tune after it had finished? You didn't really. So, you know, it's funny because when the series came back, all of a sudden it was big news again. And, then, you know, we ended up at Glastonbury with Matt Smith on stage with us. You know, it was crazy. Um, you know, it's crazy how these things go. Kind of going from that. And then obviously, I think I saw you guys, well, I did see you guys at the Blue Dot Festival. Mm. And I was watching Radiophonic Workshop. And I think you came on at the end. Was it towards the end of the set? And yeah. then I saw you with orbital and then the radio product workshop coming off a doctor and me and my mates were just like we're what we're seeing the radio product workshop doctor who orbital it was just like i mean what was that like to work to, to work oh, with brilliant brilliant I'm, I'm good friends with mark Ayers. um i've been for for years and um it just kind of came out of him he, he he rung me up when he realized we were all i didn't know they were playing when he said we're all doing the same festival i think we really must come on stage for doctor <laughs> And I said, oh, my God, what a brilliant idea. And he said, you've got to come on stage for our track, you know. And it's like, oh, yeah, what a fantastic idea, you know. It was great because um, I think it was what was good about that festival, I think they did a, they did a workshop and um, you could play a lot, you could play all the simps and they would, they would show you, you know, members of the Radiophonic Workshop. So um, this guy was showing me, um, I think it's a Moog Theremin and then we're having a player with it. And then um, it turns out it was Roger Lim. <laughs> so Roger Lim was showing me, you know, I'm a big fan of synthesizer. And I was like, this yeah. is, and I don't think anyone. I, I know, because I, I, the, the track that I did with them, um, E-Shock, which has still never come out, um, but they came to my studio. I nearly killed two members of the Radiophonic Workshop in the same day. Um, Mark Ayres fell down the stairs because um, there wasn't any banister rails, um, because the studio is a bit, should we say, a junkyardy um and it's, you know it's a shared space and uh, you know it just didn't have any banister rails so he <laughs> fell down the stairs and went to um a and e while me and roger lim carried on and he was playing um a, a sort of quite a rare synth of mine i, I dragged out for them the, the hartman neuron and while he was playing it, it kind of big spark came out the back and it blew up <laughs> and it's like oh my god you can't make it up i've just nearly killed two members of the radiophonic workshop which is why the track's called e-shock and ended up with roger lim reading because he was a continuity announcer it's him reading the the warning that you get on the back of electrical items <laughs> over the top so i mean you know talk about taking influence from your environment but um you know it was amazing to work with roger lim because what something i found out and didn't know he was the he's the guy behind the the sort of stings for the um, protect and survive video do you know the the, the sort of four minute warning thing with the <laughs> he did that and he's you know i said that's the most chilling thing i think i've ever heard he said i know isn't that funny because i fully intended it to be warm and cuddly and it's just like, ah, <laughs> it's brilliant. I'm so glad you got him to, to do that. Cause like I said, uh, there's some great footage of him, aren't there? In the seventies, this like him talking about synthesizers. And oh, I haven't seen any, I haven't caught any of that. Wonderful. No, it's great. It's wonderful. And the old sort yeah. of 
footage like that. So it was just it's funny about- on on stage at the Blue Dot Festival. It was there was that moment when I'm doing the track and I'd given I'd shown the filter buttons to to Dick Mills and Roger Lim on Two Synths. And I so I had nothing to do because they were they were my they were my controls that I normally do, and so I gave it to them. And I'm stood there, so I've got a slight moment to think and to watch. Do you know what I mean? I can see Mark Ayers doing the lead line on his you know sort of SH101 guitar. Um, I can see Kieran Pepper playing a cowbell or a, you know a, a drum down there, and I'm and I look around. And I just think, Jesus, I've got you know it's like there's Dick Mills and Roger Lim playing my synthesizers on the Doctor Who theme tune in front of thousands of people. So <laughs> how did this happen? How did it come to this, you know, from being that sort of frightened little kid watching Doctor Who on a Saturday night? You see, you do um, you do this sort of thing very well. I remember really loving, is it The Saint, when you did The Saint? Yeah. Was that the Insides album? Or did that was, it, well, it, got, it got tacked on to the end of Insides, yeah, by the record company. They, they sort of shoved it on the end, but it's not actually part of the original Insides album. But yeah. to be fair, I, you know, I did um, one of those Tim Burgess listening parties recently, and I, I kind of went to stop at the end, of what I, and then I, then I went, oh, shit, everyone else is doing is listening to the same. And um, I forgot that they tacked it on the end. So, yeah, it's, it's officially part of the album now. When I heard that, me and my mates were just we were this is we were just hoping that you would do a whole album of like movie themes because I can imagine you doing Joe ninety or Persuade. Oh look, don't get me started. If I had a if, the one that I would be well the, the one no okay I'll say the one because of the other one I thought of second the one I really really want to have a go at is the UFO theme tune. The um you know if you remember that there's a dum 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 da da dum dum. Them. That's just that's just brilliant. I love that. Um, but done, you know, Space nineteen ninety nine is pretty yeah. good as well. Once you've done your book and your your other albums and any soundtrack, yeah. when you have any time left, please. Actually, <laughs> Space ninety nine, Space nineteen ninety nine would translate really well into a massive rave track because it's got those big orchestral breakdowns and then it goes into high energy disco. So if you kind of the disco bit transform, you know trans transfer that into kind of techno and then the big breakdowns of the big orchestral bits that would that would work a charm like a charm I look, well i have to let you go in a minute let you go and do it <laughs> yeah 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 i'm itching to go let's just go you know? <laughs> well yeah obviously a very busy man so i won't keep him for too long but i was just sort of thinking about um how about phil and have you have you seen him recently i know you've done these lockdown you did a lockdown performance for Blue Dot last year, which was 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 great. Have you managed to see Phil recently, or because of the lockdown? No, not at all. Or no. lots of meetings. No, I haven't seen him. Hmm. Yeah, he's locked away. So it must have been good when you you did the the lockdown. Um, was it last year for Blue Dot? The was it the online um, Blue Dot show they did, and you did like an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good fun to do that gig for sure. Yeah, I, you know, it's 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 quite good to sort of remember what it's like to, you know, do that do that kind of thing. Yeah, that no, was good. So, I was just saying, what well, the rest of your plans are for this year? Because obviously everything is stopped. We don't know what when gigs are starting again. But it seems yeah, to yeah. me you have you're quite lucky because you're also you've got the studio side. You so it seems like you're always busy. So 
Um, yeah, well, for me, I'm 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 currently sort of pitching for a nature documentary series. Um, you know, whether I get it or not, I don't know. Down to the last three people, but that's kind of what I'm. That's that's what you know when that's that's what <laughs> I failed to to join this Zoom because I was getting carried away, sort of doing doing um sort of na nature music. Um, so we'll see. You know, that's good fun. Um, there's definitely you know there's a score coming up later in the year as well, another one. So that's you know it's good to get back into the scoring thing. I, I do love that. That is definitely one of my main passions. So, you know, I'm hoping to indulge in a bit more of that as as time goes on as well. Like properly get involved with scoring. I love it. it, it it's one of those things that as soon as I start doing it, it just kind of I light up. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of oh, it's it, it's different to writing kind of you know for want of a better word, pop music or whatever you want to call it. Just you know, artist led music. That's a different thing. And when I score, it just, yeah, it's just a lightness of just a sort of, oh, ah, you know, and I, I, I just, it's like chasing something fun down a tunnel. I guess it must be what it feels like to be a dog chasing a ball or something. I don't know. It's great. Yeah. So finally, I was just going to say, because you said about the nature sounds, because it's, a, there's a lot at the moment about mindfulness and everybody is needing these kind of yeah, nature yeah. sounds and the connection with nature. So that's why I've probably been listening to a lot more bands like Noi or, um, you know, ambient tracks that use nature. Um, so that's interesting that you say you're looking to do more of that side of things. Yeah, well, it's 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 something that I love, like I say. Do you know what I do, though? What I've been doing for the lockdown is I go out for walks and actually listen to nature and don't wear a Walkman. Don't, a Walkman. Uh, don't put headphones on. <laughs> Sony Walkman. Um, yeah, so don't listen to a Walkman with Cliff Richard and Wired for Sound. Um, yeah, oh, I know, it's funny, isn't it? God, that's funny when old words come out like that, all of a sudden saying a Walkman. But um, yeah, no, because I, I, I used to listen to a lot of music when I'd go for walks, but nowadays I, I try and listen to the, the world. Do you know what I mean? And just sort of suck in nature. That's good it's idea. Nice. And yeah. a way of you. Well, yeah, you know, of course. I think, you know, the sort of, more my own personal music that I've been doing during the lockdown. Um, as soon as that happened, I found I kind of dropped all the more aggressive, rebellious kind of tunes or the more gothic kind of stuff and went for more sort of cuddly, friendly, melancholy kind of tracks came to the, the foreground a lot more, um, which was quite, you know, it was quite nice. Just felt like that was the right mood. Yeah. So hopefully I'll be getting all of that out soon as well. Busy well, year. Oh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear it. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show to speak to us today. Um, no worries. Let you get back to your nature sounds. Yeah. Really good. So thanks for that. Cheers. No worries.